will, go ahead and take your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1, that's where we're going to camp out this morning. As Travis said, uh, it is Baccalaureate Sunday, uh, and so they let the youth minister preach, and I'm always excited to get to do that. But it also makes me think about my time back in college. Uh, we have 14 seniors that are graduating uh, that are being honored this morning. We have a few others that will be uh, that weren't able to make it this morning, but have gone through the past seminar, and so uh, we'll honor them with a gift as well. Um, but it makes me think about my time back in college. They're all going off to school, uh, different ones. You can see them on Facebook if you uh, would like to see what seniors we're honoring this morning. Uh, but as I think about college, I think about some of my favorite memories there. Uh, and some of my favorite memories actually didn't take place on the college campus. Uh, we went to uh, serve at a camp, or I got to serve at a camp, uh, Canacuck, as a counselor for two summers. And I absolutely love my time there. Uh, I always joke around that I got to tell people about Jesus. I got to play sports, and I got to hang out with teenagers. What more could I want? But I got to do a little bit more than that because early in the morning, we counselors would get the ski boats, and we would go out on the lake. Table Rock Lake was right there next to uh, our camp, and we'd take the kids out skiing throughout the day. But if we got up early enough, the counselors got to go. And so one morning, we decided to go out, and it was a tradition that the counselors told us about that had been there years before. Uh, and instead of going skiing that morning, we decided to, to go to a certain place. And that place had cliffs. And we would go and go up to the top of these cliffs. And they're probably a lot higher, or in my mind, they're higher than they were back then. Um, but we would go up to the cliffs with the water there underneath us, and you stand there on the edge, waiting to jump. And this fear comes over you at that moment. Do you realize that? That, that, that fear of standing on the edge of, of the cliff right there. You know, you can get your toes just over the edge. And, and you have your friends down in the boat yelling at you, telling you to jump. You have your friends behind you waiting on you to jump so they can go too. But that fear overcomes you. And you have to overcome that fear to go. And when you overcome that fear, there's this great exuberation as you crash into the water. And, and you realize that that fear can be overcome and something much greater can be there. A great experience can be there. A great time can be there. And so our, our passage this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 19 through 33. And, and we're going to look at how the Israelites allowed their fear to prevent them from doing what God had called them to do. Their fear didn't let them to experience all that God had for them. And so my desire this morning is for us as a church to not let fear prevent us from doing what God has called us to do. So as tradition, we all please stand in honor of the reading of God's word as we read Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 through 33. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw, on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. 
Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me. And I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of a skull and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Catch this word, though. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim here. Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents and fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth of it, the eternal truth of it. That what is true for the Israelites back in Deuteronomy chapter 1 is true for us as your followers today. So Father, I pray that that our hearts will be turned towards you, that, that you will help us to apply the truths of this text to our life so that we overcome uh, the fear uh, that we may have and that, Lord, we will just obey you with all our heart and with all our soul, all our mind and our strength, that it will just flow out of that love for you. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I think it's important any time that we start with a passage of Scripture, you know, not in a, a study of a book, it's good to, to understand the context of that Scripture. Because we're parachuting in, and actually in this situation, we're parachuting into a middle of a, the middle of a speech that Moses is giving. Uh, he's giving a speech to the Israelite people. They've already wandered through the desert for 40 years, and, and he's, they've got back to Kadesh Barnea is what it says. And that's right there on the edge of the Jordan River. See, they've been there before, haven't they? 40 years ago, they had come to this place looking over, sending the spies in, checking it out, thinking about crossing over the Jordan into the land that God had promised them. But the time before, they didn't go. And so this speech that, that goes from Deuteronomy chapter 1 all the way to Deuteronomy, uh, the end of chapter 4, is a speech that he's giving them that's trying to, to remind the Israelites how they've arrived where they are. He's trying to let them know exactly the, the place, the location that they are, why they got there, why they're back there 40 years later. And it's interesting how he does it because he's explaining to the people how God has demonstrated his love for them throughout their history. Even in those 40 years, God has provided for them, hasn't he? He's done the things that they needed. He's given them all that they need so that they can keep uh, going through that time. 
And so he's explaining that. And even as you look in the passage right before this in verses 9 through 12, he's talking about the leaders that they had to appoint uh, because the people were so many of the Israelites. Like we kind of miss that because we read over and it's like, okay, he appointed leaders. But what Moses is telling the people there is, look, God is continuing to fulfill his promises to his people. The promise that he made in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham He's making that promise, and he's fulfilling it. He said that you're going to be as numerous as the stars of the, the, the sky and the sand of the sea. And look at verse 10, going back before what we read, but it says, The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. You see, Moses' speech was trying to develop a context of, Look, God is still being faithful even in our faithlessness, because Israel had been faithless. And we see throughout this passage why they were faithless. And so he's challenging them on not letting the fear cause them to rebel again. But why did the fear cause the Israelites to rebel? What what caused them to, to choose to go away against God? Go away against what he's promised them? Go away against what he commanded them to do? Y'all, fear kind of makes us do crazy things, doesn't it? I was reading a story the other day about fainting goats. Have you all heard about fainting goats? I just think fainting goats are the coolest thing ever now uh, that I've read about them. So, I mean, they will be standing there, and if you scare the goat, the, the goat will just, like, fall over, right? It just passes out right there because it's so afraid. You know, a lot of times that's kind of the way we respond in fear too, isn't it? You know, we kind of we cuddle up really fast, and, and we respond to fear in such a way that, that isn't— that, that, cripples us, that doesn't allow us to do what what God commanded us. But what do we see here that that they miss out because of fear? We see that their fear made them miss out on the good of what God had promised them. You read through 22 through 26 again. Look at what it says. Then all of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us, and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up, and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned, and they went up into the hill country, and came to the valley of a skull, and spied it out. And they took it in their hands, some of the fruit of the land, and brought it down to us, and brought us word again, and said, It is a good land That the Lord our God is giving us. That's all a great report, right? It's a good land. It talks about how big the grapes were that they brought back in Numbers 13. You see this great report of, of the beauty of the land and the provision of the land and how God has set that land apart for them. But I told you this when we read it the first time. Check it again on verse number 26 when it says, Yet, the Christian standard says, But. This one says, yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Yet is a small word, but it's a really big word, isn't it? We have all this goodness. We have all this that is promised for us. We have all this that God has set aside for his people, yet they didn't go and take it. Yet they didn't obey. Yet they rebelled against God. And it causes them to miss out on the good. 
On Wednesday night, uh, we are going to have a, a fun game for our youth. Uh, we're going to play slip and slide kickball. If y'all want to join, y'all can. I'm not responsible for injuries. Um, but we're going to play slip and slide kickball. So I'm going to guess that Thursday morning, there's going to be a nice mud pit uh, right there uh, just outside the nursery. Okay, So, you know, nice little mud pit there. Now, if I was to stand here and say, look, uh, I have two offers for you, okay? Uh, on Thursday, I'm going to give you either uh, all the time you want playing in that mud pit. You can just spend that time there. You can, you can build mud pies with it and eat mud pies if you want to do that. You can, you can spend all the time in the mud pit that you want to spend, all right? That's your one choice. Or your other choice is I've got a nice, you know, Five-star condo at the beach, you know, right there, crystal, you know, whatever beach you want to go to, beautiful sands, all the great seafood you want. If you don't like seafood, we can do surf and turf. You can have steak. Like, it'll be good, right? Which one are you choosing? I hope you're choosing the the five-star, right? But yet, here we have the Israelites saying, look, God... We know that you have all that for us, but we're going to stay in our tents in the wilderness and complain and be ungrateful, even though you've provided something much greater for us. Now, we can't be too hard on the Israelites, because honestly, we do that a lot of times ourselves, don't we? When we choose our sin, when we choose our rebellion over God's perfect will. As you think a little bit deeper about that, really, they were more concerned with their comfort and security than doing what God had commanded them to do. They knew the tents. They had been in the tents for a while because they had traveled from Egypt into getting to this point of being close to the, uh, the, the promised land. They were right there on the edge of it. But th- that was comfortable for them. They knew what that looked like. They knew that they could, could be sustained there. God had sustained them throughout their time in the wilderness. And they chose their comfort and security over something far greater. Church, is that true of us? Do we choose to to live for our comfort, for what we think is safe, rather than living in complete obedience to the Lord? You see, their fear made them miss out on the good of what God had promised them. But there's another thing that their fear did. Their fear also made them focus on the challenges ahead. Their fear made them focus on the challenges ahead. We think about them taking the the, the land, the promised land, and a lot of times we think of it as, hey, they just march up, they blow trumpets, walls fall down, right, Jericho, because that's what we see when it happens. But there was a lot of work that went into the promised land, to taking the promised land. They had a lot of people that they were told to, to move out of that land or to, to conquer over. There were cities there. You know, they exaggerate this a little bit here in verse uh, 28. But there were people there that they were having to, to go up against. Where are we going up, it says in verse 28. Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. You see, there was going to be a challenge there that was beyond their natural ability, that was going to go beyond their natural, natural strength. And so, like, it's understandable that there were challenges. 
But what God did promise them was that he was going with them. And what they forgot was that his presence was greater than any challenge that they were going to face. And that's true for us. His presence with us is greater than any challenge. They begin to look at the, the men that were taller and bigger and stronger. I guess they looked like the Alabama football team. And they were feeling like a middle school football team. And they lost focus on the fact that God was going with them. Moses tells them, he says, look, God will fight that battle for you just like he fought for you in Egypt. And he's telling them, look, this is going to be totally worth it. No matter the challenge, this is good for you. But as we look at it, we realize they had lost their sense of awe of who he was, of his power, of his strength, of his might, and what it meant to have his presence with them as they go. And so we see that they lost their focus. Instead of focusing on God, they focused on their challenges of what it was. And that leads to the last thing about fear. It says their fear demonstrated their lack of trust in God. Their fear demonstrated their lack of trust in God. Verse 32 says this. There's another yet. Yet, in spite of this. Well, go back to the context. Verse 30. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Here's that yet word again. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. They did not believe the Lord your God. As you look back at their grumbling in the tent, they actually blame God for it, don't they? They think that he brought them out there. They completely miss his motives, completely miss his heart for them, completely miss who he is, his character and all of that. And they begin to say, you brought us out here and you don't care about us. You're leaving us here for the Amorites to kill us. And they begin to question who God is and they lose trust. They lose their belief in God. And that's really the issue behind all of this. That's the reason for their fears because they've lost their trust in the one who is trustworthy. And they turn to him in anger. They forget that his love has been demonstrated to them over and over and over again. Their problems were theological problems, not giant problems. Their problems were with God. Because they had forgotten his goodness, his faithfulness, his sovereignty over every situation, and they would forgotten his love. It's kind of like this. I heard a story one time uh, from a pastor. He talked about when he was a kid, they would um, get in the car. Apparently, it's summertime because I have another beach story. So I hope that's okay with you all. But they'd get in the car, and they would drive, you know, about five or six hours down to the beach. Okay? And then he was a young kid, and so he was trying to learn how to swim at that time, right? And we all know what it looks like when we're trying to teach our kids how to swim. It's a, it's a challenging situation and everything. And, and he, his dad had him stand on the edge of the pool there, and he would be just a few feet away from the edge of the pool telling him to what? Jump, right? 
jump to me. I'm here. I'm going to catch you. I'm right here. And, and he talked about how he just refused to do that. How he just wouldn't get into the, the water. He wouldn't, didn't want to jump in. There was this fear of, of the water and, and not wanting to, to be able to, to jump even to his dad who's standing right there. But his dad pointed out something to him. He said, look, you got in the car with me, didn't you? When we're driving 55, 60, 65, 70 miles per hour. How much did you think about your lack of trust in me then? You stopped and we got you food and I made sure that you had something to eat. How much did you think about your lack of trust in me then? And now here we are and I'm two feet away with my arms out waiting for you to jump. And this little bitty thing is where you're lacking trust in me. You know, we claim to trust God for some really big things. Eternity, salvation, heaven, all of those things. Are we trusting him in even the little things? Are we believing him at his word in our daily lives? You see, their fear demonstrated their lack of trusting God. All right, so that's, that's the negative, but what's the positive? How, what is the remedy for our fears? This doesn't mean that it will be easy. We've talked about that a little bit already. It doesn't mean that you won't have fear. But when we have fear, how can we overcome it? What are the remedies that we can hold on to as believers, as followers of Christ, that help us when we are facing our fears to hold on to God's truth? I think there's two things that we can do here. I think, one, we need to remember who God is. Remember who God is is. Look at verse 19, and you actually see it throughout the whole passage, but the very end of it there, it says, or we'll start at the beginning, but it says, then we set out from Horeb, which is actually Mount Sinai, that you can call it either one, and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. The Lord our God. That phrase appears multiple times throughout this little passage. We're looking at 14 verses, and you see it over and over and over again. It's either the Lord our God, the Lord your God. It goes back and forth. Moses is the one talking here. He's seen God move. But we need to remember who he is because Yahweh is God's covenant name. If you, if you break that down, if you look at that in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh, Atim, um, Yahweh Atim Elohim. And it, that's how they, they, they word it, Lord our God, because they couldn't say Yahweh. They didn't want to, they, they didn't want to disrespect him uh, and you know, say, take his name in vain. But Yahweh is the way that God actually reveals himself to us. This is not a name given to him by anybody. This is the name that he gives himself. And it means I am who I am. And you see, if we know his name, if we understand it, the, the Yahweh is the personal, close name that we have there. And then the Elohim is the powerful, transcendent name that we have. So our God is close, but our God that is strong and powerful. So he's here, he's near, but that doesn't make him weak. See, you can trust him. 
I love what Psalm 9, uh, verse 10 says. It says, those who know your name trust in you. You see, his name is a part of his character. It tells us about who he is and that we can trust him. Like I said, we can trust that he is near. One of my favorite parts of all these verses as I was reading through it is verse 31. Verse 31 says this, And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God, all right, there's that again, right? Yahweh, Atim, Elohim, carried you as a man carries his son. Is that not incredible? You want to talk about a God who's near? A God who carries you as a man carries his son. You know, I'm working on my dissertation right now and looking into adoption over and over and over again. But as I'm thinking about that, reading that verse, I can't help but think about Romans 8, 14 through 17. Flip over there. I can read it. It says this right here. Romans 8, 14 through 17. It says, Jesus and... Oh, that's John. Sorry. Hold on. We'll get there in a second. Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, that's not the only time, Deuteronomy is not the only time that we see God as a father, is it? We see it in Romans. We see it again in Galatians 2. There is a nearness there, a love there, a bond there, a a covenant there. That God loves us more than we could ever imagine. With the perfect love of a father. But I said we'd get to John. Look at John chapter 8, verses 56 through 58. It says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. This is Jesus talking. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Do you know what the name Jesus means? You see the I am statement there, right? There's six others throughout the book of John, but... The name of Jesus means Yahweh saves. So when we think about the nearness of of God in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we can't help but also think about the nearness of Christ in John chapter 8. That he is Yahweh who came to save us from the punishment of our sins. That he is the fulfillment of the promise that we see throughout the entire Old Testament. That we can trust in him for our salvation because we realize that we are sinners in need of grace. And he is the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So we can respond to that offer of salvation. But for those of us who are believers, there's also encouragement at the end of Matthew chapter 28 for us. Because at the end of Matthew 28, you, you, we know that the Great Commission is there where we're told to go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you, right? But we often leave off the very end where it says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, we've been promised the presence of God in our lives, too. That as we go and make disciples, that God is going before us. And that we can trust him to be there. We trust in his name. We can also not only just remember who God is, but also remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. Back in Deuteronomy, there's some interesting parts there. As he's talking about in verse 30 that we went back for context in just a minute ago. But he says, The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Y'all, there's two interesting things that come out of this passage, right? So I told you a minute ago that the context of this verse is, or these verses is at the end of the 40 years, right? Now, the punishment for those who didn't go into the land is that they don't get to go into the land now. That was their, their discipline for their rebellion. And so the people who are standing here at Kadesh Barnea at this point actually would have never been in Egypt before. They all would have been really, really young. So they wouldn't have known all the stories about Egypt unless somebody else told them. You see, the, the time that they, they spent in Egypt, Moses is saying you because they're representative of the Israelite people as a whole. But we need to hear the stories of those who have gone before us. Think about the people as they're wandering through the wilderness and they're, they're telling their children, they're telling the younger generation about what happened in Egypt, about how God provided a way out for them, about the strength of God over Pharaoh and over the gods of Egypt. And they use those stories to... And, Invest in those, the next generation the truth of who God is and what he has done. You know, we have people who have gone before us that we need to hear their stories. We need to hear stories, of biographies of missionaries who have given their lives going to the ends of the earth. Because they want to make Jesus' name famous where it's not been heard before. We need to hear stories of revivals and how they broke out through prayer and through young people just giving their lives to Christ and, and abandoning their comfort and their security because they want to go and serve. We need to hear stories of other people's salvations. Every time there's a baptism, that's an encouragement for us as believers because we realize that God is still moving among other people. We want to hear the stories of those who've gone before us. I love hearing stories about Longview Point in the hardware days and seeing how God has worked through Longview Point to where we are today and how he's going to continue to work going forward. 
Oh, he has even greater things in store. But not only do we need to hear the stories of those who have gone before us, but we need to tell the stories of what God has done in your life. It's personal. Your story of salvation, your testimony, how you've seen God work in your life. Maybe it's how God used you to bring somebody else to him. Y'all, I hope that, that when I am on my deathbed, late in my life, that there are a lot of stories that I have about how God has used me for his glory and his kingdom. That I've seen so many people come to know the Lord because of my faithfulness to his word, my faithfulness to him, my, my teaching, and that God has used me even as a broken vessel. I don't want to just be listening to other people's stories. I want to have stories. I want to be able to tell about his grace and his mercy and his love and his faithfulness and how I've seen it throughout my life. And I want to be able to pass that on to the people who have come behind me to encourage them that our God is still moving and that he is powerful and he has something good for them. So we need to remember what God has done. So my question for you, what is God calling you to do that fear is keeping you from doing? What is God calling you to do that fear is keeping you from doing? You see, from what we've covered today and looking at this passage of Scripture, Fear should not prevent us from doing anything when it comes to what the Lord is calling on our lives. He has called you to something better. Don't let fear prevent that from happening. Is it, is it a call to go somewhere? You know, we always say that, that we hate to lose people, but we love to send them out. If, our, if your call on your life is a missionary call, then respond to that. Maybe it's a call to adopt. Maybe it's a call to be involved in foster care. Maybe it's a call to be in respite care for those who are in foster care. Not saying it's not going to be a challenge. But if God is calling you to that and he's going before you, then we can trust that he is going to, to provide what we need through that. Is it a call to forgive? That could be really difficult. But is there someone in your life that, that you're holding a grudge against and, and we need to, to let go of it because God calls us to forgive? Is it a call to share the gospel with a friend or a coworker or a fellow student or whoever it is? One of the reasons as you look at studies on why people don't share their faith, a lot of times it comes back to fear of rejection. But they're not rejecting you anyways. Overcome the fear. Share the gospel with people who need to hear the truth. So church, don't fear what your future holds, but trust the Lord and obey as he leads. Because he alone is worthy of all of our lives. So as we enter into a time of response, Maybe today the, the thing that you need to, to lay down is your life and say, Lord, I uh, am a sinner and I need salvation. Come talk to us. We'll have counselors that, that would love to, to walk you through that, share their story, 
and tell you what it means to be a follower of Christ. But maybe there's a fear that's holding you back. And it's time to let go of that fear. Take that plunge off the cliff and realize the exuberance of obeying the Lord wherever he leads.